0: Movement Rio Media presents A Few Good Physios with Dr. Eric Munoz and Dr. Leonidas Scantolides. You
1: can't handle the truth. What is physical therapy? More research. More research. More research true therapeutic effect
0: join us each week as we discuss current trends in medicine rehabilitation and strength and conditioning
1: the answers are out there
0: all content is a collaboration between on-point sports care and integrated pt squared a few good physios is not medical advice and is used for educational purposes only if you are having pain and or health-related complaints please seek out a licensed healthcare professional thank you for downloading enjoy All right, welcome back, episode 11 of A Few Good Physios. Uh, we're going to do another kind of reboot and talking about general events, current events, um, things that are happening in our own lives, things that are happening out in the world, and maybe go over a couple of studies, so on and so forth. Um, the first thing it was interesting is a, uh, my own experience with injury. So, uh, of course, this was a jujitsu injury. I was, let's see, kind of like a month ago, I was trapped on top. I was on the top part of a half guard, and my leg was trapped by this one guy. And uh, he seemed to to hold on to my leg, and uh, I couldn't get it out. The more I tried, the more he kept it in, and he was just kind of like hitting my shin with his... um, his heel and his leg. Anyways, I didn't get it out after like two to three minutes. Needless to say, the shin was pretty irritated. It was swollen. Uh, it was weirdly swollen. I'd never experienced that before. It was a little tender, not that painful. Four days later, I was playing around with it and it was still really swollen. I started to move around the fluid, showed it to a couple of PT I was,
1: friends I was of a, mine. I was a witness <laughs> to this, uh, mysterious bubble swelling. Yeah. Uh, in all my uh, years of uh, uh, treating and training, I've never seen a uh, swelling on the shin that kind of moves and then created this little little bubble, right? It was like, yeah, um, it looked um, like an gum. alien. Yeah, it, w- it was <clears throat> an interesting. So he he did the typical wait and see, and I'll let him continue. Yeah, <laughs> no, I,
0: I, I didn't know what it was. I was asking my coworkers. They were looking at it, and they all had the same exact reaction as I did, like, what the hell is that? Um, uh, And the other somewhat concerning thing It wasn't that painful So I thought it was just like a basic contusion I'm getting older And maybe if it was just a little contusion on the bone and the tibia bone Then uh, it would have created that amount of swelling And my body wasn't reacting quick enough to heal it up Anyways, uh, I didn't really take a break from jiu-jitsu I, I went less times per week Just to have a longer weekend without it So I had like four days off And then two days on So on and so forth didn't really get better. I think actually, well, the swelling didn't, it wasn't as mobile anymore. It, it hardened. Hardened to the point where as I was pressing on and I was like, I think I feel bone, where the swelling is still there exactly, but now it's really hard like a bone. So that was also concerning. Um, then I went around and asked people that I knew again to see what they think objectively, and they said the same thing. I don't know what this is. You know, it seems like it's a bone. So I, I went and got, Examined by um, a fellow clinician, they sent for uh, imaging. They asked my opinion, which was nice. They said, in a sense, that you could you can get an X ray, but you're not going to see as much, Uh, or you can have one of us do an ultrasound on it, but we're not going to see as much. But if you go get an MRI right away, then we could see more and get a better idea. And so I agreed, and we went, and we're waiting on the results. So. As I get the CD, you know, because as a patient, you can request a CD, and I I checked it out on my computer, and from my limited knowledge and training, I could see some abnormalities. Uh, it looks like a fracture. It looks like some other things going on. Um, so uh, we'll see.
1: Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> Is this thing on? I think so. It's on. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. From my um, from a quick look at it, definitely looked like there was either some kind of stress reaction, some kind of bone bruise, or hopefully not, some kind of fracture mm-hmm. um, that may be in, the, in some phase of healing. Mm-hmm. But um, we will see, I guess, on our next ne- next episode. We'll go over it. We'll go over the, uh, the findings of Lehman's uh, MRI. So... And it's such a different, I know that Mm. Lee may agree or disagree here, but when we're on the other side of the fence as a patient, um, often, I know I'm speaking for myself here, but Mm. my clinical judgment and all the advice I tell the the thousands of people I've worked with, um, it's clouded. It's very clouded because Mm -hmm. um, either we we do two things. Um, We either underestimate whatever we're going through because i think um pts tip typically this is another generalization but a lot of pts are, are pretty good copers and they're able <laughs> to uh manage their own injuries uh, to some extent um or the other side of it so so either grazing it off and not making a big deal of an injury or the other extent is kind of going to the worst case scenario like oh i just tore blank or i just broke something uh well, I think Man took the course of the, the correct course of action, which was give it some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't have any pain; he was still able to train. Uh, but there was just this local abnormality, if you want to call it that. And he did the right thing by just kind of seeking help. So, yeah, uh, we will see. A week from, we'll definitely know in a week from now.
0: Yeah. So I, I, I'll do have to say I've learned a couple of things from it, only because, it, and I, I think this. You know, it should be somewhat reassuring because it gave me also the more important uh, aspect of what we keep talking about with pain. So, I didn't have any pain. I don't have any pain. I've done all the stress tests in that area, even like squeezing, palpating. I had other clinicians squeeze and palpate it too. Usually, if there's a bony fracture, you'd have quite a bit of tenderness. That's one of the best ways to find out if there's a fracture. So, that's kind of an indication of like tissue damage does not equal pain it's not necessary um and i and I, I am not one to say like i have a huge pain tolerance you know i, don't, I think I, he
1: does i, <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I was just I as you're going through this i'm like yeah because i remember about a year ago to the date uh-huh. uh <laughs> lee man one year anniversary on saturday i don't think i told you huh? no oh, of, oh, of jiu-jitsu Hengel's. yeah Hengel's. nice man so um i anyway lee after watching lee in this class and him choking people and him getting choked. And uh, anyway, watching this class, I was like, oh man, I was like, people have to get injured. And my mm-hmm. question to Lee was, hey man, um, d- any injuries? And his look, he looked at me and he was like, well, you get dinged. You get dinged. And I was like, all right, cool, we'll get dinged. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, man, he I, I would think this guy has a high threshold. Um, that being said, <laughs> That being said, it, it does play into the fact that, you know, structural damage doesn't equal pain, right. pain doesn't equal structural damage. Um, hopefully, hopefully there is no structural damage, but in right. the event there is, it's just a, a good illustration of, you know, pain being a poor indicator of damage and vice versa.
0: Right. Yeah, and uh, I have gone out through the scenario. So, this is my plan. So. It it is. This is what I would do with a patient if they came in after a month, the same concerns, don't know what it is. I would offer scenarios. This is what it could be. This is what we're seeing. And then this is what we would do as a course of action. This is somewhat relieving usually when you go over this with somebody. It's some sort of plan of action. So number one, if there is nothing wrong, just normal bony contusion, I would just go on as my normal activities. I wouldn't modify anything. I would just cater to the swelling as if it will go down eventually. Uh, Scenario number two is if there is a fracture and that swelling is there because uh, I have not let it heal, then I would be completely up for uh, a period of non-weight bearing because it's the tibia. And if it's not healing after a month and it looks like it does now after a month, then that's concerning to me. Something's happening. So most likely weight bearing is not helping the healing process. So I'd be prepared not to do any sort of impact or be on crutches, whatever it may be, one of those scooters for a little while, um, and also forego doing some jujitsu just so it doesn't get too much stress on it. Um, scenario number three, which was uh, brought forth by another physical therapist that there was some sort of infection, then it would that would be taking a course of antibiotics, antibiotics or whatever it is, some sort of... Uh, I would go get blood work also to make sure... I don't have anything going on with uh, any sort of bone diseases or, I, you know, ha- I have had a history of um, uh, osteochondroma in my right femur. So I got that removed when I was 14. So if you know what that is, it's, it's kind of a benign tumor of the bone, but that usually comes on when you have a growth spurt too fast. So you get that removed. Um so if there's something like that going on, then I go get examined by a specialist or multiple specialists, see what I have to do next. So those would be the scenarios, and I'm comfortable with all of them, although the second one I'm not too fond of, only because I have to take a break
1: from but, you know, That's I, the only reason. I, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> he'll limp around, he'll use his scooter, but uh, not being on the mat. It's, it's going to be uh, tough. Yeah, man. But I I do
0: this is it somewhat goes back to what we keep talking about. If you kind of nail these in the butt, if you nip these in the butt now, like if you have these little injuries, then you can prolong any sort of not any but a lot of chronic issues. So if let's say if I did have a, a bony break and I, I don't go uh, non weight bearing for a while and I keep doing jujitsu and I keep stressing it, it keeps you know developing into a chronic issue. Then that will be an issue if I continue training for like ten years. So I want to uh, nip this in the butt now and get it get it solved and at least reduce the likelihood of chronicity. All that stuff.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, within the and I'm just speaking from a very limited scope of just being in the, in this world of jujitsu in the last year. And when I say world, I mean two to three days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to say that I'm a, a full time jujitsu practitioner, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a, a culture of, um, there's a culture of kind of injuries being commonplace within jiu-jitsu. And uh, most of them aren't, most of them are not catastrophic, mm. um, from my understanding. Most of them are bumps and bruises that aren't attended to. And I mean, I could attest for myself, the first two months that I was there, thinking that, oh, I definitely tore my rotator cuff or hmm. I definitely strained my hamstring. I tore my calf. At one point, I thought I tore my calf. Hmm. Um, but the cool thing about it is with um, kind of working through and around and doing my own little rehab mobility drills and, and giving it time and going for uh, other recovery tools uh, like massage, acupuncture, um epsom salt you name it uh pretty cool to see in the last year how the body has just healed from a lot of this stuff and um uh, you know it's inevitable a uh, contact sport there are going to there's a huge risk in um uh, in some kind of injury but the body heals again i think that a lot of these injuries could be mitigated through strength and conditioning mm-hmm. and mobility and i think within the culture uh, I don't think that a lot of people participate in that. I mean, outside of um, the calisthenic warm-up that's given. Um, but I, I know Lee and I had discussed this at length, and I think Lee Man has helped me tremendously with um, incorporating mobility into to jitsu and, and knowing that, you know, there's a price to pay if um, if you don't address your own mobility issues. And I'm not saying this is for everyone – but a person like myself, I'm 40 now, and I've had a, a list of bumps and bruises, a lot of the mobility has helped. I mean, mm-hmm. and I think um, went off on a, on a bit of a tangent here, but it, it comes down <laughs> to the culture of jiu-jitsu and injury and how it can be mitigated through, I think, additional strength conditioning and mobility work. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's non-negotiable. No, <laughs> if you want to continue doing it for a while jiu-jitsu yeah
1: i mean yeah
0: if you want to do it for two weeks yeah you don't have to stretch or no, do mobility just go
1: into it man <laughs> just choke them jump <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah a lot of faces have come come and go um yeah that's the
0: other thing too yeah i haven't i haven't taken the the beginners class in a while because i'm um, in the other class but he's in the advanced <laughs> <laughs> he's in the, he is with the beasts which i gotta join man I'm you snoozing. gotta come in you're you're, you're qualified now
1: so we're uh, right to but get yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> but i remember in that class there would be i would see people for like a week then and then the next month i wouldn't see them so on and so forth, and
1: I would love to know what the the stats are. So we I, we were trying to do that.
0: I, I wanted we would it would be a complete violation, not a violation, but it would be we'd have to get people to sign things and sense that HIPAA and all that stuff. And um, I don't know how organized the academy is with <laughs> getting information. No, I mean not. No, they, the, they have to have it though, like I'm attendance. sure. Yeah. Um, I I would love to. I would love to know the stats of. All right, you started. Um. Whatever. And then uh, six months down the line, are you a still training? B, recuperating from injury and not training. Da da. And keep doing that over and over again. And then you up to a year. Then we can have. I mean, they have thousands of students, so we can have a lot of numbers for that huge sample size.
1: I um. I, I don't, I'm gonna go off on another tangent with the one year. Tan- tangential tangential <laughs> session. This is tangential <laughs> podcast. But Saturday marked the year. Um. A got year Henzo. of training. I got a a little automated email from Hensel Gracie. Did you academy. really? Yeah. Oh, I
0: didn't get that. Get That's a awesome. one year
1: academy. You know, congratulations. Let us know if you need anything. <laughs> and I wasn't. This was Saturday morning. I was tired. I wasn't. Didn't want. You know, my little son is running around, and mm. my wife needed. You know, we had a lot of things to do, and I was like, oh, I'm not going to train. Um, and we'll get into another sad event that occurred on Friday, and I was mm. even more likely to want to go to train. I said let me let me get out there and uh, luckily uh, henzo Gracie taught the class which was a treat because he really doesn't um he doesn't really train the uh, the the beginner classes uh, much at all but he does make appearances anyhow he ran the whole class and I did a lot of reflecting and my wife actually sent me a cool text about you know it's been an interesting year and a year into the training and um uh, I'm in no rush. I mean, I see the progression. It's been very slow for me, um, but I do see a marked progression, and um, yeah, I'm very thankful for it. And and I, I, it's not easy. It's definitely yeah. hands down the hardest thing I've ever physically, emotionally, mentally put myself into. Because you know, jujitsu is. Um, you know, you're in a confrontation all every class, you know, and, (laughs) uh, it's a friendly one. You guys give each other a handshake and a hug and all that. But, you know, at the end of the day that the fight or flight response is, is up. And, um, Mm -hmm. I attribute a lot of, um, a lot of the success of the last year and a lot of being able to push through some tough periods, uh, to jujitsu. So I, I thank Lee man for putting me on Mm -hmm. and, um, it was, uh, you know, it's been a great journey, and it's 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 the gift that keeps giving. That's for sure. It's, um, mm-hmm. it, yeah, don't, it won't be. I, I, I don't want to be a, a champion of no sort of any sort, <laughs> but um, it it just improves the soul. That's what I would say. Absolutely,
0: <laughs> no, it does. Um talking about the sad news is, <clears throat> we lost uh, Anthony Bourdain last week. Um. It was, yeah, I think it was really hard. I mean, when I I was in complete shock that morning, I, I woke up early because I had a six thirty patient, and all of a sudden I got the New York Times flash. And uh, anytime I get a New York Times <laughs> news alert, ninety nine percent of the time it's some political bullshit, and I just I was like I just shook my head when I saw my I phone. Delete. Yeah, <laughs> and then I saw Anthony Bourdain's name. I was like, oh my god, was he part of like you know some accusation or whatever? And then I read on, and it, the the headline was confusing. It didn't. It really wasn't clear because it said author of a memoir. Dah, dah, dah. And I was like, oh. So I opened up the story, and then then that headline read that he was found, uh, passed, uh, found dead, and I was so sad, and I started to, I didn't believe it, just because um, we, he trained at Henzo Gracie Academy in New York City, he, we would see him quite a bit, especially the time that we went, because he would do personal sessions there, and he was friendly with everybody, he was always kind of a, a light there, in a sense that People would be like, oh, look who it is. And he would be be friendly. Like, as a family, he, was, came, in, he came in to visit his family. And it, uh, I think every, everybody who talks about him now on TV who is remembering him kind of talks about him the same way. Because how he was and what he would say, he never was this alternate person. Like, he had one personality when he did a show um, versus when you meet him in person. He was just Anthony Bourdain. yeah. And I think that's what made him special is because he was a bu- no-bullshit guy. Right. And I highly respect that because it's so hard to do that in the business he, he's in. Like, sometimes you have to put on this stupid show to be, uh, like, you know, have your own show on you know, a big network like CNN. and
1: or play to the crowd. I mean. Right. And he never did that. know.
0: He was always so genuine. And he was uh, oh, very nice. And he had these great... Um, uh, themes when he would do the show where um uh, parts unknown was the name of the show yeah, right parts
1: unknown and, and prior to that was um something confidential
0: was his
1: uh, cooking show his cooking show i mean even a cooking show it was more like on the travel network before uh-huh. parts unknown came up but um I, yeah definitely lee Lee shared the news with me on friday morning i was with the client and i was like in shock myself and I, partially because i saw him that tuesday well prior to his death and um Mm. you know in the year that i was there i probably saw him i don't know over 20 25 Mm -hmm. every other week whenever he was in new york i think he was in the academy and um he um i always wanted to tell him hey i enjoy your work but it just wasn't the right time and i would Mm. say hello i'd say hi he'd say hi and that was that. And I would say he was a very approachable person, mm-hmm. but you could tell he was a very private person. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. respect that. You know, I, you know, he's this is his time off. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to chit chat about his show. But, um, but uh, Lee and I remember. I remember when we started our journey. We would like, be getting ready for class, and he'd be uh, splayed out. You know, drinking a Gatorade, talking to uh, his instructor, who was our instructor. You know, Igor yeah. Gracie, good, mm-hmm. great guy um and then ego would uh train us and i thought that was um That's it was so cool. cool you know we were like at the center of the universe there and mm-hmm. anthony had everything to do with that right yeah. um also read a lot of things this this weekend about him being like an ambassador to jiu-jitsu and um there's uh leo shares some quotes here uh that he he found but um i read over them the same the same quotes this weekend and i was like wow this is why i think um you know, his death hit me so hard, it's like, um, there was this common link, and anybody who practices jiu he was able to vocalize, I guess, how we all feel.
0: Right, yeah, um, it's, that was another thing, I think, for us, it hit really hard, because his attachment to jujitsu and how much he talked about it, and what we're finding now in jujitsu is exactly what he said, and he was very successful in it. he, at his age, he trained for, I don't know how many years, but he's competed uh soon after he got his blue belt uh at the new york open in 2016 and he got gold he had two matches and he won both matches and he was very much into it and you could tell there's a, there was a transformation from right before he started where it's, it sounds like he had some health issues some cardiac issues and he was on some uh cholesterol medication he this is all public like this is all written in articles but um, he didn't want to take those medications. He wanted to continue uh, a moderate eating lifestyle and travel but also be in good shape. And so when he started jiu-jitsu, he was able to get off all those medications. That and he lost all this weight and sh- all of his levels got better like his cholesterol, his blood pressure, all this stuff. So
1: you could see the pictures too. That was a Yeah. That was a physical was a, a physical transformation. <clears throat> I mean when he competed in that um in that, um, in that competition, mm-hmm. you can see he was ripped up. He yeah, was, yeah.
0: fifty <laughs> something year old man. I mean, at the time, I think he might have been in his late fifties, like fifty eight, fifty nine. Um, he, for someone to look like that at that age, it's incredible. Mm-hmm and that jiu-jitsu really does something to you
1: yeah, and to start it at th- I, that's another thing you know you i started late that's right I, I came to this uh this game this little party very late i <laughs> late in my i think i'm going to say very late but hmm. he's in, he's proof that it wasn't very late you know right. he he was able to jump into it much later in life and um somewhat in a compromised health position yeah but um and he yeah. wasn't like a, he wasn't like a pole vaulter before. Like he no, no, no. He was a party guy. You <laughs> he know, he was, was a party, guy. total party guy.
0: Anybody uh, can do it, man. It's it's really about mindset, and that's that's what I respect about him so much. You could tell when he talks about stuff. He did have this warrior mindset, in a sense, yes. about life. It's you're gonna get you're gonna get a bloody nose here and there, uh, you know, metaphorically and and literally. But that doesn't mean you stop. I mean. In a sense that he he sounds like he went through a lot of uh, hardship. Yeah, adversity. And he kept going. He became really successful. And hats off to him. And not, not a lot of people have the guts to do that. No. I have a lot of respect for that.
1: All um, see love. Uh, mother. Gail.
0: Yeah, his mother, she was recently saying, kind of what I was saying before, this is where I got it from, is what she said. He was always himself really never showed anybody else, and that's why everybody loved him. But there was social media, of course, was um, very much reposting a lot of stuff that day and day after and sending tribute to him. And some of his quotes about jiu-jitsu, so I'll just read one of them. um, Quote, I will probably not live long enough to ever get my black belt. But I really deeply enjoy the process of sucking a little less at something every day, mm-hmm. end quote. And uh, it's so true. It's like every day you go in, you suck at it. Right. But, you know, two weeks from that, that day, you're going to suck at a little less, you know, right. day by day.
1: I could attest to that today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, another one, uh, quote, I do it because it's hard. Because it's the hardest thing I've ever done and because it never ends. Every day presents me with a series of problems that I spend the rest of the day thinking about how I might solve or at least chip away at. Next day the same, and the day after that, end quote. It's... Spot on. Yeah, and and, er, as Eric was saying, it's like this really, it will give you some tools to deal with other things in your life. But another thing too is, and I brought this up before, we talked about it, um, there's this huge misconception about combat sports, about martial arts in general. And, you know, I, I heard people say, I've, I've been in martial arts all my life and I encounter all these really ignorant people and they would say things like, oh, it's, you know, it, this angry people do it or, you know, your people have to be violent to engage in that stuff. But I, I really feel bad for those people. At this point in my life, I'm getting older and I can step away from obviously taking it personally and more to seeing that person. And they really have some deep-seated you know, fear regarding these things. But in the ignorance. In ignorance, ignorance yeah. But the, the, the truth is and the facts are is that the people who stay in martial arts all their life or they, they do it for a good amount of time and they, they get attached to it, they're probably the, the kindest people I know. They're the calmest people I know. And... They've taken a step to getting them to getting to know themselves better, because every human being goes through a range of emotions every day, and we're capable of, of a range of emotions every day. And if you don't think that, then I don't know what to think about you <laughs> because <laughs> you, it, you you haven't experienced different emotions and gone through a lot of things in life. I mean that that yes, you have to use energy, and you have to kind of get in touch with this fear. Uh, about getting choked or getting arm barred and you have punch. to fight back, yeah, punch, and you have to you have to get in touch with your own intensity levels, and that might tap into anger for a moment, but guess what you keep doing that over and over again it's just like anything else you learn how to moderate, and usually the anger goes away, and you use anger way less in your entire life, so every time you walk into a terrible situation, you think about it more. Logistically, methodically, and you're prepared. You're, you're emotionally prepared. And guess what? It's a skill to... It's like swimming. You, would you go through your life not knowing how to swim? Like you, mo- Mainly people, when they have children, for instance, they want to give their children lifelong skills. And one of those beginning skills is let's. if they have a bill of availability to go get swim lessons, they'll go get swim lessons. Because someday you might be in a situation where the risk of drowning is high. Same thing goes for martial arts, man. If you think you're never going to be in a situation where you're ever going to have to possibly defend you, your family, or anybody else that you love, then I say hats off to you, man. You better go play the lottery because you're playing with fire. You're you're, you're jumping without a parachute.
1: Yeah, I mean... Yeah, as Lee just said, you know, that's a, a lifelong skill that mm. and it's not yes, it is about a potential altercation that may unfold, but as Lee said, the emotional regulation you get from it, mm. the discipline, the ability to problem solve, the ability to try to check your perspective, um these are all things in my short uh, amount of training uh, that have all kind of improved. I mean, I use mm. anecdotally, I'll use something as simple, well, As complex as parenting and Mm. the joys of parenting and the, you know, having my son, let's say, wake up at 2 in the morning is the equivalent of someone choking you. You know (laughs) (laughs) what I mean by that is you get, you know, you're like, what the, you know, I got a big day today. And you get all the, you go down this whole panic. Right, right. The Eric panic mode. Oh, my God, I I can't. And then you take a deep breath and you realize, hey. He's crying. He must need something. And so then that's the him, logistics yeah. kicking <laughs> yeah, yeah. in. Yeah. All right, let's change his type. Maybe he needs a bottle. Maybe he's hot. Maybe he's cold. You mm-hmm. know, going down the little decision tree, but not, not uh, you know, looking at the issue and not taking in the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah. man, martial arts. Um, it's huge. It's huge. Uh, yeah.
0: I, this is a common theme that I've experienced. Luckily, my experiences with martial arts since I was younger. And it has been strengthened, if not way more improved with jujitsu just because of the complexity of it. And, again, going back to where Anthony Bourdain is, he was in the limelight expressing this stuff. And that's what I I, I loved about it because, you know, if someone doesn't know me and I start telling them about jiu they could just look at me be like, yeah, I really don't, you know. If what you say is not like, I'm not going to listen to you if there's someone like Anthony Bourdain who's successful and he... Yep. Yeah, he'd influence. He influence, had. He was so. an.
1: He was an influencer. I mean, yeah. um, prior to prior to my joining jiu-jitsu, I, I was definitely a fan of uh, Anthony Bourdain because of he was able to, you know, take me to a place and um, and just really make you feel it. Like mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I've been to a handful of places that he has been to after the fact that he's been there and i i've kind of gone to those spots and whether it was hawaii or mm. jamaica or even the bronx he went to the bronx a couple of times even... <laughs> yeah and it was like oh i know that place and um, that's awesome. and, and again it was like he he was the uh, the champion of the little guy of the street corner that's right jerk ch- yeah. chicken guy um but again he was able to transport us in a very authentic way and mm-hmm. and again no bs you know straight shot you kind of want, you know he he was traveling, drinking, eating, laughing, and and learning, and everybody I think um, wanted that lifestyle, you know, mm-hmm. and still still do. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, mm. damn, rest in peace, Anthony. Yeah, definitely.
0: Another quote I found really interesting, just because this was the day of um, Anthony's passing. Uh, there's an Instagram account I follow, the Mendez Brothers. We spoke about them before. The very successful school art of jujitsu, or A of J, A O O J. Uh, So, quote, each of us has a limited amount of time here on this earth, and the only truly lasting things that continue after we are gone are the stories and memories of our existence in the minds of others. The stories told that really matter aren't going to be about the kind of car you drove, the type of watch you wore, or whether or not your shoes had red bottoms. They will be about your moral fiber, how you treated those around you, and how you chose to live your life to the absolute fullest. End quote. And I one thousand percent agree with that. Like it's not, it's not about how you look or uh, what kind of things that you have. It's more about, you know, that's one thing I loved about watching Anthony Bourdain is because he, in the same respects of, I think I've learned in martial arts, is he treated everybody with respect and also he gave them his fullest in terms of what he was and um what he wanted to do and things like that and so that that's it's very much the same he lived his life the fullest he could i think and um it was really really fun to watch him we're gonna miss him very much
1: absolutely
0: uh um moving on <laughs> yes
1: next point that Thanks, was buddy. not tangential by the way we planned that one out that's Boy, right Lee man carved that out very uh, well Thank you, brother.
0: Yeah, man. Um, uh, Joe Rogan, we talk about him a lot. He had uh, a really cool fighter on recently, Kat Zingano. If you don't know who she is, she is a uh, female uh, MMA fighter, most popular in the UFC. She's in the top 10, if not top 5, of the bantamweight female class. She has a fight coming up in Boise, Idaho. I don't know when the date is. Um, but it was interesting to listen to her because she, uh, get a little medical stuff going on there, where she talked about in one of her fights against, I guess it was against Amanda Nunez, even though she won, she suffered some uh, brain injury because uh, she was hit repeatedly for a couple minutes. And uh, she was diagnosed with the TBI afterwards. And at the time, she was training in Colorado. Um, and it was recommended to her by her physicians and the people working with her that she should not train in Colorado anymore due to the fact that it was at elevation. Um, and if you don't know what a TBI is, when the brain gets injured, one of the healing, one of the things that it has to do to heal is to be oxygenated. So usually at high altitude, you have less oxygen. Um, you have less likelihood of utilizing oxygen, at altitude versus sea level. And so if you're going through recovering from an injury, it's probably not the best thing to stay there. And it was interesting what she mentioned because I looked this up afterwards, and it's, it's absolutely true. People with autoimmune conditions, uh, arthritis, um, other any sort of inflammatory issues shouldn't really be living in Colorado, or I'm sorry, shouldn't be living at elevation.
1: That's, that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, because the body responds differently when there is... Let's say if you go to like a mile, like the Denver is a mile high city, and usually Denver, definitely Aspen, uh, Boulder, and other surrounding areas are about a mile high. Um, so you're going to have less oxygen there. And, and research that has been done, at least when I was in undergrad, I, I graduated in 2003, so definitely things have changed. But when I looked it up most recently on, on uh, did a literature review, it's they're finding some similar issues with. Um, Athletes. So the the usual prescription for like let's say an endurance athlete, usually like a cyclist, because all the cyclists are out there. Um, you want to train at sea level and live at altitude. And so the whole purpose is at sea level is you can raise your VO two max to your maximum versus like let's say if you have you know person A, person A has a VO two max at sea level, let's say sixty three, which is really high. And then uh, when they go up the altitude, they're like 50-something, maybe 48. So the whole idea is you you would be able to reach your peak intensity at sea level and then reap the benefits of that uh, that recovery. peak. Recovery. Int- right, yeah, exactly, recovery and then stressing the body out. But by sleeping and living uh, at sea altitude, you're going to reap the benefits of what it's like to be altitude, which is increased hematocrit, red blood cells, you're going to kind of jack everything up times two, uh, mitochondrial density, all these other incredible things. So then you'll get those benefits, but you won't be able to do that. It's like a, um, what do you call it, uh, when you reach the maximum benefit, and then after that it's it's going uh, down.
1: No, uh, God, there's diminished this. returns. Diminished returns, yeah. thank you.
0: So you'll you'll kind of reach the diminished returns if you keep training at elevation. So in her case with the the traumatic brain injury, it was more her recovery and how quickly she can get back to fighting. And that for that she'd she'd be best she'd be better to go to sea level. So then she went into this um, uh, her her treatment was very interesting. It was a place called Mindset out in San Diego, California, um, they don't really have a website or anything. It was, it was somewhat new where it sounds like they use a device that measures brainwaves and then they have them go through various exercises that kind of keep their brainwaves at a certain, um, I guess, wavelength for a certain amount of time at each session. And they do this repeatedly over and over again, so that somehow stimulates the brain to recover optimally. And she said <laughs> she had physical and cognitive results very quickly. And she did it all. of It sounds like most of it out of her own pocket because the insurance would not pay for it. Um, why? Oh, why? Why didn't I? the insurance pay? Oh, let me go into that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so it uh, sounded. I mean, I didn't. I, I don't know the full story, but it's that she went into it uh, briefly with Joe. But it sounds like. Um, shockingly, the insurance companies didn't see how the two were connected, her brain injury and the fight, which is hilarious (laughs) to me. Because, yeah, how else would she get a brain injury? I mean, she's 35 years old. Yeah, give me a break. Uh, The insurance companies, they're going to deny as as often as they can. And they sure enough did it with her. They're not going to pay for that effective treatment, it sounds like. It's now being used in the military and Secret Service and – it's actually being used for our government i mean it's so ironic that you know something that is effective as that and as quick working as quickly as that is not going to be covered by something like the health insurance but that's a I whole wonder, nother.
1: i wonder if um this mindset <coughs> yep. has something to do with what we had what we did with the um heart heart rate variability training are those the same people probably That's
0: a good question um hrv is yeah human? hrv maybe
1: and this uh,
0: they do have a, it's it's a device she described, like the in-house device is big and it it requires a lot of equipment, like computer, but they have a travel device hmm. um, that they can bring to her and stuff like that. But it was fascinating.
1: Heart rate math. Yeah. Rate. I forgot the name of the company. I actually have the app.
0: <clears throat> and they, they do like brainwave. balance. Ah, okay. Heart math. And this isn't, an, this is not. Interbalance. Interbalance. Yeah, yeah. This is. This is not new in a sense. They have been studying this stuff for decades in terms of our brainwaves and what's optimal for functioning and cellular activity. And they've done that primarily through uh, meditation practices. So mindfulness... Meditation and this—the reason why this is not on the front page of every paper is—is is money, one hundred percent money. I've been to several um, presentations where there were leaders in meditation and mindfulness, and they talk about the, the incredible studies about reducing pain and what it does to the brain and the the actual tangible ev- evidence that they show it's changing the brain waves as how your brain operates and that thus changes your matter your brain matter and that changes the representations of certain things like pain and that will have a significant effect of being able to take away pain medication
1: um alcohol abuse drug abuse, drug abuse yeah right. all Even, this stuff uh, anxiety depression yeah you name it um so yeah there's definitely been tons of research out there on on the effects of mindfulness or meditation in particular to brainwaves and to Mm -hmm. matter i mean it's it's um i remember when lb when we were in the whole meditative flow at the Mm -hmm. clinic but there was tons of research coming out of wisconsin i believe yeah um there's a professor there that's um pretty prolific on his research with functional mris uh pretty amazing stuff and um I'm trying to come around. I, I got into it for a while there. And I actually, this morning, I used my headspace for 10 minutes. <laughs> but, um, super important. Oh, it, it's to go not to go back to jujitsu, but it, all things coming back. I mean, the days that I do spend 10 or 15 minutes with some guided meditation, um, I do significantly better. And I maybe it's anecdotal. I, there's no functional MRIs on my head, but <laughs> the ability, the ability to, um, see the options. Yeah. And, and and if forget about jujitsu, the taking this to a regular day, you know, on the train, the train is late, a client's late, something's going on, there's some kind of adversity. Instead of reacting, you know, I think what mindfulness teaches us is just to slow down. Mm-hmm. Uh but back to the brain itself now, sci- you know, do we this is this isn't nothing anything new, right? No. Mindfulness meditation. But I think what is new is how science is now proving um what these actual changes are right
0: and that's that's what you know going back to you know god forbid uh, health insurance but this is what they look for, apparently, but not all will use it because they'll use it only for their benefit. But um, they they want tangible evidence. They want tangible evidence by peer reviewed articles. They, notes. they want notes. Range want, of motion. They want everything but, special test. Oh man, I, I have to tell this story. This is this pain level. This is probably my <laughs> my most not my most significant story, but it's one of the craziest stories. So like in if you're not familiar with what physical therapists sometimes have to do If a patient, uh, let's say, is getting treatment and they they require continued treatment with a physical therapist and their insurance doesn't want to pay for it, sometimes we'll have to reach out to not necessarily the insurance company, but a company that was hired by the insurance company to... The insurance company. <laughs> the insurance it's a company. Third party company. a third-party company. A, quote, third-party company. It's owned by the insurance company. <laughs> <laughs> that's trying to, they want to, quote, monitor and make sure that you're, you know, uh, it's medically necessary to continue treatment. So they're just there to block treatment. That's what, that, that, <laughs> that's what they are. There's no other reason. So this is an example of it. <coughs> so I was treating this patient, and this individual patient uh, had uh, chronic neck pain and this is before the really big, this is right when I, uh, or maybe two years out of school. So we're talking like 2012. I took on this patient from another experienced PT. So the initial examination was done by another PT, um, who did an incredibly great job with documentation, noted everything, uh, very thorough. There was no reason for her to get treatment stopped at this point It wasn't like we saw her 50 times and we wanted to go for 75 it was like she was seen like six times not even six times I think it might have been five and I was number six and so I had to to, she was completely denied which was really weird it was a very strange case so I had to call up the quote supporting clinician which is an oxymoron by the way Uh, but we won't get into that (laughs) and the supporting clinician was a physician and uh, at the biller at the time for our company knew most of the quote supporting clinicians because he's been in the business for a while and when i talked to him about it he's like oh did you just to so-and-so and i was like yes and he was like well he's he's crabby he's like an older physician he's he probably on he's close to retirement so it's no no wonder he didn't get any um visits but the story goes i called him up and um uh, it was like a joke. It was like uh, like a slapstick comedy on the other end. Like He's like ruffling papers around. He's like, I couldn't even find your papers. And I was like, okay, like, we go over the, the range of motion and the strength and stuff like that. And then he pulls up the IE. And in the IE, we, we, we have to write down what the patient is describing to us as their mechanism of injury and like how they're feeling about it. And it would behoove us to say uh, or write down what they're saying to us. Of course. So she, at one point this patient described that the pain gets worse when there's increased stress at work. So he latched on to that and he said in one sentence to me, "She does not need physical therapy, she needs psych- psychotherapy. She's not getting authorized for any more visits." Bye. Yeah. So that so right there that he ignored, he chose what he wanted to choose on the IE or on that note and he ignored everything else, which they're not supposed to do. They're, they're supposed to take the note as one comprehensive document, and they're supposed to take in everything. Pain levels, they're supposed to take in range of motion levels, and why they're on the phone with you in the first place is supposed to get your, quote, impression and your clinical opinion. But in the end, it's just a time kill, like meaning they're trying to waste your time, meaning they're all, they already ha- made a decision before you get on the phone, and... You're most likely not to get it anyway, so the whole point of that was they're even though they're supposed to be evidence based and they're supposed to look at everything, they don't always and that's happened to me that was the most extreme uh story I have, but that was real, and there were other instances weren't weren't as extreme, but it's really upsetting on our end because we're very powerless when it comes to this stuff that patient might already have a prescription from an m d have our signature to get more visits, and obviously needs more visits on their end in the sense that they're still in pain and they benefit from physical therapy, benefit from conservative management, but they don't want to hear that. They just they want to look for any option to not continue the treatment. That's just the truth. That's just the truth. So this,
1: <clears throat> this trend, I mean, we could probably have um, probably a bad a few podcasts on this topic alone. Separate. But, but just us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a separate topic. But no, but no, the, the trend that Lee said, and this was, what, 2012? Yeah, um, th- The trend right now, six years later, is, is more barriers to clinicians, well, to patients getting visits. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, to clinicians getting paid for those visits. And then thirdly, uh, the, the amount of confusion involved in both of those, right? Yeah. Whether it's for the on the patient end, the provider end, I hate saying the provider, but the Clin- the clinician. The <laughs> clinicians. So what I've seen are, um, again, this is another topic, but instead of dealing with insurance companies directly, as Lee mentioned, there are these third parties, often not even located in the United States, mm. uh, and they call it weird hours and you call back. There's never a direct number. Um, and the information they're asking, sometimes they've already ascertained. They would, they just quote confirming that that's the patient's address or yeah, that's your address So or that's, so this, this little, as Lee said, it's like a stalling method. And for a large company that has a high volume, you know, these things sneak, sneak under the crack, uh, for a small company, uh, these things could be devastating right this could mean the difference between paying rent and not paying rent Mm -hmm. putting food on your table whatever have you but um as lee and i have recommended you know uh, and uh uh, what exists here in new york is to kind of circumvent that whole situation for the built the patient the provider and say hey you want to see me fine let's go cash based i'll see you for x amount of time and this is the trend that hopefully will take over our country.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean,
1: this is, this is one of the many, this is some, uh, I told this story
0: before, but I'm not going to tell it again. This is a lot. There are some patients out there who will get upset about uh, PTs going out of network or cash. And there's a reason it's, again, it's not because they're looking to like buy the third boat. They're, they're, they're trying to get, they're trying to actually do their job. The fact that, we are required to do this little circ- circling and monkeying around and engage in the circus of calling someone who's not going to want to talk to us and not going to listen to what we have to say as a clinician is, is not an accident. It's not an accident. It is deliberate, and it's also geared towards prolonging the denial. It's, so yeah. it, it's it, to avoid these things... The circuit, like what Eric said, circumvented by not involving yourself. Well, obviously, it's not. A, this is not available everywhere,
1: and not available to everybody, and uh, everybody. You know, yeah, understand That's understandable. Sadly, you know, one um, one decides to go cash or out of network. Yeah. Um, sadly, you're missing a, a good portion of the population. And again, living here in New York City, I know we live in a different uh, by different economic and social rules here, but. Yeah. Um,
0: but it's what we have to do right now. And in a sense, it, it will ch- – I mean, again, we talk about this all the time. But it, it will change. It's changing slowly. But until that change happens, the, those, if one wants to stay in the business or wants to stay in the profession, these are kind of the the things that have to be done. Now, you could have someone who's got some skills working in a large company and they're trying to see everybody and, and see the, the entire population as much as they can. They're not going to last long. I, I, if they have a, a brain in them, in a sense that they have some motivation to continue, and they, they want to. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, but what, uh, what defines uh, a, a physio that is quality? Most likely, they're not going to stay there for that long. Because, and, and if you do, if you have found someone who is in a clinic that accepts a network insurance, you've won the lottery. You won the lottery. You you really have because they're if they're not lethargic, if they're um, keeping in touch with you outside the clinic, and they're giving you good advice, they're not putting fear mongering in you and things like they're not fear mongering you, then you have won the lottery because they're they're not a, they're they're a very small percentage.
1: Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I concur with them um, you know, I've seen many well intentioned physical therapists starting a career or. Well, maybe even in the game for a while and be well-intentioned, but, um, you know, the current system puts a lot of additional stress and um, responsibilities on a clinician. They go beyond their clinical duties, right? Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of that has to do with uh, insurance, quote, requirements. And those requirements are very—there's a very big gray area, but— You know, with at least documentation, you know, I could reflect on, you know, when I was managing a clinic and I was working in the clinic myself, the big um, issue was documentation. And I I was questioned by my colleagues like, hey, you know, this note writing is BS, you know, I'm writing, I'm just copying and pasting. And, you know, people are just writing what they quote, uh, you know, what they think they need to write to just cover the bare minimums mm-hmm. but you know I've also I mean Lee and I were drilled in school that you know documentation is there to protect us right mm-hmm. um in the event of uh, some kind of uh, litigation you know if you didn't write it it didn't happen mm-hmm. um but uh, aside from the liability aspect of it it's just to kind of show quote a medical necessity and even then when there is a medical necessity uh, it's often uh, complicated. Again, the, the biggest thing the insurance companies have is time, right? Time and money. And they're mm-hmm. able to kind of um, hold you in a mount position <laughs> yeah. and slowly mm-hmm. choke. Or maybe not even choke. Maybe just sit No, they them. got one hand <laughs> in your collar
0: <laughs> and they're circling the hand on the other. And while they're circling, you're sitting there. But no, like I have all the information. <laughs> uh, I have I everything. I'm going to like, tap. Oh. I'm going to tap.
1: I, I no, no no you're not gonna tap you you're no. like I really want to get out of here I just want my I want my PT I just want to see him two more visits yeah. I just want and then slowly most people get choked but <laughs> but get don't choked. get choked fight back you just and, yeah. and the truth is there's all kind of um these things this uh, it's another topic but um but yeah. yeah I mean it's it's the state of affairs we're in we'll, we'll see
0: hey, yeah I, I I I don't wanna. Go too crazy on it, but it's like <laughs> there. Um, we we saw an article recently that um, people like Amazon and Google. Uh, no, Amazon, it just Amazon.
1: Warren, good old Berkshire Hathaway. Oh, okay. Amazon, Warren Buffett, and I want to say um, well, CVS we know is with huh? Yeah, but there was another company. I know it was Berkshire and Amazon, and they were talking about getting into healthcare.
0: Right. So, this this is, could potentially be a good thing because it's going to give competitions to give competition to these the small group of insurance carriers who have been dictating everything almost like as a group monopoly for a long time uh, in terms of prices and stuff like that. So, this might if you have so, like a huge A company like Amazon, who has a lot of money behind them, they have options where if they go down the quality route and they talk to the right people, that can bode well for patients and bode well for clinicians because then they can talk to somebody who's up-to-date with evidence and be like, well, actually, education and exercise are the two most most effective things in the research for treatment, for conservative management of, let's say, basic ortho conditions. So then they're going to start to create different systems for that versus the system that does not support that right now. We don't even get a a billing unit for education. We've spoke about this before. I mean, that's
1: a huge problem. I think um, the other benefit to having or potential benefit to having these large companies is the amount of data they could collect in-house. That's true. Because of the amount of employees. Let's say they run their own healthcare. I mean, this is another reason they're probably doing it because they probably do the numbers on you know X amount of employees, X Mm. amount of health benefits to employees and you know if it, we all know that health care is kind of skyrocket in terms of our premiums mm-hmm. That's skyrocket and those large corporations although they have leverage to negotiate better rates for their employees they're still getting they're getting squeezed themselves so they figured mm-hmm. hey why don't we just do our own health care you know right. like provide our own health care exactly. you know this is um not a novelty in the sense that a lot of large uh, corporations have their own wellness centers. And we talked about it with, what's his name last time? Um, what's his Facebook? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, perfect example. Perfect example. I mean, it's happening. The question is, you know, who gets in there? Mm -hmm. Who is the, um, who is the provider of this healthcare and education? Mm Uh, that's, um, That's just like everything else, I guess. You know, who you know, not what you know. Exactly. It's a little scary, but it is what it is. I mean, but hopefully the kinks get out. I mean, the whole back to the point is large corporations uh, figuring, hey, this is a large cost for us. Why don't we just get into the business? (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it it can get out of control. And I guess what bugs me is that um, if there's – you know, our own experience. We're not gonna go into specifics too much, but like our own experiences and how this stuff is run. It's it's this acceptance of really poor uh, management ideas and management skills and that's trying that's attempted to be passed down on to us and as the clinicians and they usually turn those clinicians and to overworked, underpaid and underappreciated employees. And it's because of the model that the insurance company is forcing them to do. But if there's uh, a lot of resources in the company itself, the actual clinical company, then they don't necessarily have to go that crazy with it. They can make modifications here and there and then so on and so forth. But I don't know. It's, it, it's just really, it's frustrating. And from, from our end, it can be it, it can be a game changer and or it can end people's profession you know I, I, we've already talked about it on the show where really great uh, good intentioned physical therapists they leave the profession because of how difficult all aspects are and we're talking about a fraction of it where the other aspects are misinformation from um the medical community uh the idea of what physical therapy is and so on and so forth. So it, it's a it's a roundabout issue, and um, it everything. is.
1: And I'm gonna I'm just gonna say to everyone out there that um, although all of these difficulties arise, this is uh, uh, you know all these barriers, I guess arise. I do believe that getting you know first of all, you know, going to graduate school, getting your degree. Yes, there's pockets in the education, but it was a rigorous, most are rigorous programs that mm-hmm. involve involve a ton of studying, a ton of discipline, a ton of working in groups and presentations and volunteer and working for free, you know, clinical. Mm-hmm. All of these things, one could leverage this whole experience and working in the trenches to kind of create your own little niche, whatever that is, right? So, and screwing the system. And what I mean by screwing the system is, you know, making your own thing up right and and not make making whatever is comfortable to you for instance Mm -hmm. i don't know you you enjoy cooking you were a cook before you were a physical therapist (laughs) maybe you start treating cooks with overuse injury i don't know yeah you know maybe you start treating jujitsu practitioners maybe you start treating i don't know ballerinas whatever whatever Mm -hmm. specialty you kind of want to go into and you know within that niche market you focus on a cash-based business so there's there's a lot of options to kind of go off the grid a lot of which are done in major cities like this one in new york mm-hmm. uh, but uh there is there is hope uh, there is hope is the hope the majority of what other physical therapists are doing no i mean it's almost like going to school gives you the base gives you the fundamentals to become quote a good worker right, right. or just sitting there in a mill and that's a lot of you know a lot of um i guess going back to the industrial um revolution and let's say manufacturing boom i mean a lot of these jobs would create good quote workers right Mm. um not a lot of program well none that i know of really focus on focuses on the entrepreneurship track or the leadership track or the ability to i don't know Stand up to things that you believe in or, right. or you don't you don't agree with, you know, and, and I think unfortunately and I'm gonna make a generalization here, but a lot of the people go into physical therapy, including myself, because uh you think you're gonna have a quote stable career. And um right. with that stable career, the trade off is often um autonomy, um pfft, time. time. Pay Hey, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, there's so many. No, things. no, no. It's a and trade-off. Then, and this then is, the the this is just
0: a a a, a, a the truth. Right, right, right. <laughs> we're here. Right. We're here to talk about our experiences. I right, mean, right, right, we right. might sound like rogue therapists, but I have to be honest with you. We're just saying things that we hear every day. We see every right, day. Right. This and isn't these are just us- these. These aren't completely original to Lee and myself. No. this is
1: we're, we're speaking for.
0: It we're a majority we're, yeah, right. we're a majority in our profession especially if you've been out longer than five years I'm not even going to say three years but the truth is the the rate of burnout has increased and it used to be about eight years where on average uh, the average physical therapist would change professions so there was a certain number I want to say 20-30% to it took about eight years that's now gone down to five five years so it, it was eight years when we were going to school <laughs> and it's now Technology. five that's, that's the truth um, and there's a reason why there's a, there is our if you go to PT school um, back in let's say 1980, whatever, there's probably 10 people in your class. And those 10 people, they were significant. I know people who went to PT school back then and I asked them specifically or they tell me specifically who they were in class with. they I remember this one PT uh, who graduated from Hunter and their graduating class had, I think had 10 people, and one of them was a former cardiac, cardiac thoracic surgeon, cardiothoracic surgeon. So they were a heart surgeon for Christ's sake. And she said she would always remember during anatomy class he was an artist too. So he would draw the anatomy while they, it was like a Frank Netter kind of guy. And I was like, this is crazy. And so she said there were people like that and she was significant on her own. She was an athlete and all that. So they don't do that anymore. Now classes are 90 people at popular schools. 90 people. So it's become extremely saturated where they, you're getting everybody. And what that does to the system, that's great that there's so many people trying to be PTs. But on the other hand, you have these companies now that are going to build around that saturation. So you have large corporations who are going to take on lots of PTs and run like mills. So they're, they're going to run you know, all these inexperienced PTs together, and they're going to uh, force feed them this information in the sense that you have to build like this, you have to treat like this, you have to treat everybody like this. And so then they can have a system for about, like, let's say, three to five years. And then those people move on.
1: Hopefully. And, Hopefully,
0: yeah. Oh, may they might not. They might not move on. They might stay there until they're old and gray, and they can't move anymore. So I don't know. <laughs> um, but it, that's just it, these these things. I guess what, what bugs us the most is these abnormal uh, requirements that it, it it that it takes to treat an individual, usually in the uh, realm of the insurance world. But the adaptation of the quote. Um, or I should say just the adaptation to the company that tries to provide this treatment and trying to tell us that's that's normal. That's not normal. It's not normal. So what's, what's happening now more and more, which is happening slowly is that you're having people come out of school right away and be like, I heard from so-and-so and I see it personally. I'm not going to wait five years to get burnt out. I'm going to try to do something different. Awesome. Like that, that's going to start to change things. So that it's going to what Eric was saying is that if that education was even in school, listen, you guys have to if you want to be able to do this and this and this and really help people, then it's right now it's going to require you to, to to do this. So you have to have these skills. And we were told in school over and over again from our forward-thinking professors that physical therapists are terrible business people. And over and over again they would say that to us. And, I, and I, when you're in school, you're so. Overwhelmed by so many things, like y- you hear that, be like, oh yeah, sure, I'm gonna, I'm a, I, w- I just want to get past this class and uh, <laughs> want right, right, my fourth. Right, 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 right. So you get out in school, and then you see it and you see it firsthand. Like I'll never forget this little story was, I remember uh, my father needed some physical therapy, and so I did some research in his area. And I found a guy who ran his own practice and he looked like he had been around for a while. I swear it said he was established since like the 80s or something like that. He was a manual therapist, all this stuff. So my dad goes and he he loves him and he's like, wow, do you know, he did this. And nothing surprising. It was just a great examination. And then I go and visit them one time and I don't hear from my dad. uh, And since that, like, that was like a couple months and then I, I visit them. And my dad hadn't talked to me on the phone regarding physical therapy about that. So I get there. He's like, you know, uh. It was my last appointment on da da da. I was like, "What do you mean you, you stopped?" And he's like, "No, he closed down. He had to stop. He he transitioned to another uh, profession. Yeah, right, right. and he wasn't he wasn't young. He was like in his fifties, maybe early sixties. And it, it was so funny. It wasn't funny. It was interesting because I had talked to my father about you know kind of the stuff that was going on in our world, and he kind of was just like, eh." Really? Like, that doesn't seem to be the case. You spend so much money for school, you spend such a large investment, and that that would be weird. And then you read all these stupid stories from, like, the Better Business Bureau or whatever it is. They they rated PT as, like, number three career in the United States recently. I'm like, based on what? Okay, fine, quality, like, helping people, I get it. But a return on investment? No. Like, uh, be prepared if you're not in a particular situation then you have to take out loans to pay for school it's going to be challenging to pay them back that's just a fact
1: right and and if you really yeah the rate on the rate on investment is uh is actually lowered it's getting low i mean look the price of school's going up of course and i would say salary i mean has probably come up since we've graduated but it doesn't really equate. Know. You know, here especially here in New York that's another thing to consider the cost of living is so high uh with rent and food um that you know I don't know many PTs that just treat at wherever they are. Um oh no, not here yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you, you like could yeah, and if you and if you do that that's fine but you won't afford yourself certain luxuries. Um whether that's going out to dinner, or going to you know uh luckily Lee and I, well, lucky and unlucky, I guess. But we've had the grind from school uh, of <clears throat> of always doing a little extra, right? So whether that you know we were the rarities in school that we actually worked, and um, that carried over into when we started working full time. We still maintained some private clients, whether that was with PT and or personal training. But um, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's a, it's a hustle, and and I guess. You know, Lee and I have met many um, younger therapists that are getting out of school. And they have, you know, they come from a different generation. Mm. Um, They're looking to kind of create their own little system, which I, I am very thankful for. But the drawback on this is them actually getting in the trenches and getting the experience they need to actually effectively treat patients what we're talking about is the backdrop of physical therapy the business of physical therapy Mm -hmm. um but the clinical aspect just like any kind of skill-based um anything skill-based is you know you got you need time for those skills those skills Mm -hmm. yeah those skills don't uh they don't happen you know because you have a degree or because you take a board test that's that's you know legally you're you're good to go but in reality is you know you have uh you have some lumps to to get and mistakes to make
0: exactly and we um and that we Eric and I have talked about this a lot on our own and it's an interesting conundrum because what i said before uh is great we have more and more individuals individuals getting out of school and be like no i'm not going to go to the mill i'm going to do this this and this but on the other hand that it's not the yet to accumulate that experience that has given us the ability to do perform our skill at a certain level and to help people as efficiently as possible. Excuse me, but um, so what is the answer? What well, I don't think the answer are the mills, but I do think the answer is getting kind of this, um, getting put into the fire a little bit, especially when you're young and you're fresh in the sense of. Um, I just got out of school. All I want to do is treat and get experience because that happens. That, that's like that energy that happens right after you get out of school, especially when you go through class and they keep talking about these uh, theoretical patients. You want to see these real patients, you know. You want to really get in there and and apply these things and see how it goes. And with that energy, it usually it lasts. I mean, at least for us, I would say for the first three five years. Now we're looking at things a little bit more um, efficiently. Now we know what we need to do in terms of our amount of time, what patients need what, things like that. But we only learn that is because both of us worked in clinics. Like my first year out of school, we did not work in the same clinic. I worked at two other places, and both of them were three to four patients an hour with no lunch and we saw all sorts of patients, Medicare, workman's comp, no fault. And I learned a lot, although it was really stressful, but I had that energy right out of school to be motivated to um, energetically apply my stuff. So I, it wasn't until moved to the next place where we worked together, it was still three patients an hour at that time. Still so very hectic. Still very hectic. But the support clinically was ex- exceptional because... Mm-hmm. The there we had really high level clinicians there was able to you know ask questions and also we had meetings that would go over clinical coursework and stuff like yes. that. It was it was very um <coughs> what's the word um they really helped you grow as a clinician and then they finally went back to two an hour so after about a year so there was a good solid two to three years there whereas it, it was high volume and again I learned a lot and I think because um, we knew getting out of school, we were going to get our nose bloodied a little bit. We stayed in it and we knew there was light at the end of the tunnel, but there are a lot of people next to us who didn't know, know that and they didn't want to stay in the profession, the people that I know, stuff like that. Um, so so it, it's, this t- it's the give and take. So I think for our ideal scenario, whereas you get a lot of experience right out of school, but it's not this like getting beat up every day kind of mill situation. No. You're seeing four patients an hour it's going to be more like a setup. Maybe you work in a place where you're doing two patients an hour um, and you have a lunch break and you have a, like a cutoff of 10 patients a day or something. Um, then, yeah, you can learn from that. You could still learn and still have a life and maybe not have to work a second job and if you get an adequate pay, but that's not the case right now. There's no clinic doing that in a sense where they have those parameters and that kind of pay. Yeah, so, I mean,
1: um, but. I think here in New York, or at least what I see, is like three different demographics. Right? You Mm -hmm. have um, uh, you have uh, mills, right? That are not really I wouldn't consider physical therapy, and I think that yeah, they're just four (laughs) to five. Yeah, they're 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 just they're practices in billing. So if you want to learn how to bill, then just see how they're billing. Yeah, and and uh, and, and apply ice, stem, and ultrasound. ultrasound. You different. want to check out those modalities. That's probably a good place to start. Right. Um But in terms of you actually, as Lee was saying before, growing with some kind of, you know, journal club and some kind of con ed, you know, the mills are typically not interested in that. They're, they're yeah. just kind of, you know, they're not. You're not going to learn too much from that respect. Then you got the next level up, which is a large institution, um, and that could be NYU, Columbia, or thought. You know. Uh, orthology would be considered one of these, in which um, you have a large institution that has a variety of clinicians and they're at two or three patients an hour. Mm-hmm. But they kind of respect the fact that you're a new grad and may have a altered schedule initially. You might have a mentorship kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen some of those. Mm. Um, and you will, you know, some, some kind of framework – that's geared towards helping the person out right Mm -hmm. uh and i think for a patient this is an ideal this could be a potential ideal quote in network situation Mm -hmm. uh and then you get you then you have uh, kind of an out of network slash cash boutique practices that are anywhere from one to let's say 15 or 20 employees uh in which you usually have you you have the luxury of time, whether it's half out forty five minute one on one session, an hour one on one session, um, in which you know, and again, it doesn't matter clinically across the board. You might have some amazing clinicians in any of these realms, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Lee, we're going to kind of elaborate on some some of this later on. But mm. you know, it doesn't all of these little um, classifications I'm giving you are by no means. Um, indicative of the quality of care you're getting you know i mean it really comes i believe down to the individual you're working with right um but anyway the boutique situation you know you have the luxury of time the cost on the patient is definitely going to be higher the 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 payout in most situations to the clinician should be higher although that doesn't have to play out either Mm -hmm. um if you quote work for a place like this but um yeah that's the realm and you know, people thought it was a joke when I brought this up at the meeting, and you know, I was told that I understand the reality of what's out there, and this, this, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's oh, so disheartening yeah, yeah. is yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you, we give this information that you sure. Do you
0: know it's out there? Yeah, yeah, I know it's out there. Or well, have you done your market research? I thought uh, that's what market, it was. Yeah, market research. We'll show you some market research. Yeah, market research. <laughs> so this, like, so, uh, so,
1: yeah. I mean, as a as a new therapist, I would definitely encourage um, those to look into institutions that are going to nurture the growth of a therapist, and you know, right. obviously, have your own agenda and and once again you know there's not much hand holding in this world you know so um one has to seek out the information although this institutions mm. may have Con Ed and journal clubs you know it, all, often you have to you have to kind of find your own way right. uh, no one's going to give it to you
0: yeah and, and that's interesting you said about Con Ed we um <laughs>
1: <laughs> no <laughs> i just of another guy told him my boy oh uh. uh, <laughs> Some companies don't even pay for con-ed. They don't even pay for con-ed. <laughs> um, Some which, of these boutique places. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. I was,
0: but I, it went, when we started the company together a while back, 2012, w- with these incredible clinicians around us, the company was attempting to nurture that um, need for con-ed. And again, these clinicians, and myself included, we'd be really into going to Con Ed as often as possible. But what I've seen as things have changed over the years and that companies no longer in this different da-da-da, that was one major change I've seen across the board. There is no talk anymore amongst the PTs, no need to go. It seems no sense of urgency, especially for the new grads, to like go get Con Ed. They're just like... They just keep going and going and going and and it's, it, they don't really want to learn anything new. And that to me, that's that's a barometer of what's happening on a big scale. Like that, that how that's what that's doing to the clinician is that's deadening their need to do what their job is. In a sense, they are so overwhelmed with all this other admin work and other unnecessary things that a large company hires. A lot of people to do with high salaries who are not bringing in revenue, and those jobs or the, those tasks are being uh, made up by the physical therapists. So they're having to do extra things because those non-revenue driving people who have these high salaries are not essentially taking any accountability and taking responsibility, and they're not doing their job. And then if there's any questioning from anybody in the clinical side, it's always the same answer. Well, this is corporate. This is co- it's not corporate, man. We don't. It, corporate means like when when they say that I I am and I've I've asked someone when they said that to me, I was like, what do you mean? Do you mean by the fact that upper the, the culture management? is corporate or our benefits and our issues are corporate? And mm-hmm. he said the latter, and I was like, well, that's fascinating because I have three patients today and I'm seeing them in the middle of the afternoon and they have corporate jobs and they are coming on their quote lunchtime to get treated but yet they're going to go back and they're going to use their $25 credit that they have daily from their corporate company to get lunch and they're going to eat it there then they're going to go home at 5:30 so they came here so I don't have that. we don't have that much of a lunch we don't have time to go get treated Come back, buy lunch off of them, and then go home at five thirty no so don't give me the corporate thing, and they have incredible insurance and they have unlimited vacation, whatever it is so but we what what he what i want to translate that for him is we have all the corporate problems, but none of the corporate benefits that that's what he's trying to say so With that is a stress on someone who's not trained to be a corporate person. Like We're not in school. We're not like, all right, so you're going to have to work in finance. You're going to have to be able to do this. No, we're trained to treat patients. That should be our sole role. And I brought this up before at one of those boutique clinics. um, We know a therapist. We mutually know him, And uh, they have a setup where they see patients for 45 minutes to 60 minutes for one-on-one. And they accept both in and out, but it's set up very differently. And I asked him specifically; he'd already been there for a couple of years. And I'd be like, "How do you? Well, how does that work? How does the in and out work?" And he's like, "I have no idea. That's not. I'm just there to treat the patient. And that's that's how it should be. In a sense, that everybody has their role in a company. And if they want to." they want to do this corporate BS where like where you have to do this and you have to do this. Well, that person who had to do A B and C on the computer and the paper isn't doing it. So now the P T who has to do now A B and C and they have to treat the patient and they have to go it, so it's there there's there's no role. There's no um chain of command. There's no any of these things
1: that are quote corporate. There Well that you know you just said the key thing if someone comes into this quote job, right? Mm and are an employee of this big corporation, they should have a limited responsibility to some extent. You're going to give me responsibility, pay for it, right? So pay for the additional responsibility. And I think um, a lot of newer therapists, uh, younger therapists, may not understand the difference, but their role has been... Increased, So they they have much more administrative tasks than they thought they were going to have. They've been expanded. They've been expanded. They've been expanded
0: for free. Exactly.
1: So they (laughs) actually got a pay cut. Uh, Uh, Yeah.
0: So uh, let's see. The the things that would be ideal in that situation for one of these companies is always have a full schedule. You always have a full schedule all year round. So there's no, no lull. So if you have a lull, then it's you. You're the problem. Uh, don't take vacations if you take vacations patients don't get treated they don't get paid so don't take vacations don't have babies if oh, you have okay. a baby oh man we heard one time there literally it was proposed as a joke but it ain't it ain't no joke what happened no one else have kids uh, no he, he, the, this person literally said why why would you do that you don't remember that dude okay. oh man I, I i might have been it was just me maybe some other people but it was sad it, he wasn't joking when he said it Um, (laughs) he was uh, another ideal thing that they always have to do they have to do the documentation in a timely manner so that usually means the same day and in some clinics that might work that might work I, I would love to have all my documentation done within 10 minutes. Same I would up. love. Same and I have great time management skills. Anyone who has tried to tell me otherwise, smack them in the face. Yeah. Because <laughs> they, ha- they don't know how many businesses that I, I run and they don't know the tasks that I do every day and the amount of emails that I write to patients and the programming that I do for my clients and the amount of time I've been doing it for over 15 years. I have really good time management skills and I, I teach that to people who want to be taught. Uh, so <laughs> the, I, it, I it, it. it has been suggested that I don't. So that's hilarious to me. Anyways, they, would, they also would like to have people bill unrealistic time for patients, which I'm never going to do because that's not right. It's not legal, obviously. Um, and then you sign whatever is in front of you. So if you have a document, you have to sign it no matter what. No questions asked. So you can't ask any questions. That's, that's, that's uh, point number G. Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, this guy, that was
1: 30 <laughs> seconds. He knew that he was going to do that. <laughs> He had planned it. He knew at Gee, he was going to take a pause. This was all planned, guys. This was all planned. <laughs> it was all planned. There's more here, but I'm never. I'm not going to go. No, over it, but no, no. It, it's. Uh, it was, this is not uh, what. What Lehman is discussing is is not a novel thing. I mean, uh, a lot of people out there that may be listening to this are experiencing this. If you work for a mid to large uh, company uh, mm-hmm. as a physical therapist, um, you know they have quote organized tracks uh, for most but they're really not mm. too organized at all
0: yeah I, I, our, our biggest issue is there's no end game so like if you were to ask these um, the the head 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 people what are your core values they, they can't even answer that question they, they can't nice. that, that question would be kind of their last thought because the first thought is to pay their own salaries fine survival I get it good for you but K- do keep in mind that you have some you have the uh, you have other people working for you. You have people who busted their ass to get where they are and now they're your responsibility. And if you can't even answer that simple question answering core values then you need to go back to the go back to the uh, drawing board and maybe uh not have all these people work for you.
1: Yeah, the so, mission too, right? Yeah. Good old mission statement.
0: Mission statement, core values, these are what sustains our core values is to treat the patient the best way we can using our skills, our expertise, the most current evidence, um, and also catering to the patient in a sense of wh- whatever's going on with them, we're going to help them resolve. And our capacity is to do that. And... Difficult,
1: easy, mm-hmm. you have it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's up to the therapist to kind of um, adapt to the patient's needs, whatever they are. Exactly and and or and or you know kind of uh educate the patients on those needs and wants and and goals and to kind of come up with something uh realistic mhm and it's it's
0: not realistic to list off all or have have those expectations that I just listed off which absolutely are true um at least in our experience uh working in those companies but it, it things have to change. And our solutions are we've already somewhat touched upon them. There has to be change in how things are built for physical therapy. There has, whether it be a pay-per-service thing, whether it be an added billing code for education, there has to be some sort of up-to-date way to treat somebody because right now manual therapy and therax are not the only two things that we do, and ultrasound is not the only thing we do. East ice all that stuff, gay training. Gay training. Do you get
1: paid on gay training? I don't think we do. Um, I, don't even I think
0: if it's billed as therapeutic activities, but I don't. Oh, I don't even. So if it, I think because this is the other thing too. I was trying to. I was telling someone earlier today about how in, at least in the State in New York, in the outpatient ortho section, things have tightened up. Uh, we no longer can safely use nori For billing, because it, their insurance companies are trying to say that's more for like inpatient rehab, stroke, TBI, uh, spinal cord injury. Get it? I understand. Um, But things like gait training, like let's say if you have a patient status post ACL, you're doing gait training. I think we could do it then, and we'll get reimbursed. But it's like two bucks. (laughs) Something like that. So about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of school, three years, doctor degree, boards pass. That's good. We'll we'll give you a couple bucks to analyze. Make it quick, man.
1: Thirty seconds. Like, listen. Walk (laughs) left, right, left, right. Swing your arms. Breathe. Relax. Good. Okay. Let's get into the clamshells. We got one. (laughs) <laughs> two <laughs> we gotta do 30 minutes of
0: 30 minutes of those 30 clam minutes shells. of clamshells for the two units
1: i do give clamshells guys i don't i don't, oh, I, don't you wanna, I you know clamshells good but i they have it, their place they have their place but Isn't uh them? but the neuro rea- yeah that the, i gotta that tell you talk to you remind me to bring that up sure. about tightening the belt but um they um <clears> yeah it's, it's it's a wild game we play yeah, so like if you have a, a, a really
0: usable, reimbursable code like education, that would be helpful. Or pay per service, that's helpful too. And I've had some discussions with other PTs. They said neither one of those things would work. They'd still be taken advantage of. And I disagree with them wholeheartedly because the re- I think one of the many reasons that we're in the situation we are right now is because the system's almost set up for people to do these bullshit uh, billing practices because right. then you're giving them options you're all right all right we have eight minutes for here uh 23 minutes for there 30 minutes whatever so now you can you can have them play with that more you can be like oh, as soon as i shook their hand and as soon as i saw them leave the clinic and i waved by, that was their treatment versus like you know you have contact time with them or, or they just come and they see you in in I, I don't. If if someone's gonna bill out, like, let's say, if it's paper service, let's have this scenario, and you have like twenty paper services in a day, that's easily an audit situation. You just be like, all right, how do you how do you schedule? Well, we schedule everybody hour by hour. Well, how do you see twenty in a day? <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: I I um you know, unfortunately, part of the reason the cost I think is so high is there is a level was. I believe in the past, a higher level of fraud, like you just of said. Of course, yeah, yeah. And like Lee said, the, the system almost allow almost opens it up to... There's always going to be people trying to beat the system, right? And right. I remember reading an article, I think it was like three to five years ago, highest paid PT in the country or something out in Brooklyn. Medicare, Medicaid. Oh, I remember this. Billing. And he was This guy was billing <sighs> dead people, I believe. They were... Well, he just had an address. He wasn't having real treatments. Is that the yes, same guy? I think so, yes. He had an address, and he was taking, like, the socials of people that were dead. I mean, it was a whole horrible fraud scheme, but those are the, re- you know, part of the reasons that, um, you know, it, fraud costs the whole system, you know, and this is a perfect example. So those mills that are seeing six patients a day, excuse an me, hour. six patients an hour, <laughs> um, are uh, you know they can the kind of contributing and most importantly the public perception of what quote physical therapy is i mean going back to the new grad scenario and having a person that's never experienced physical therapy maybe have a uh, maybe have a decent experience with a, a new grad i mean hey as a new grad i help tons of people i'm sure you we, we all help, helped even as a student help. Right. Tons of people, Um, but do we want new grads, the fraudsters? We'll go back to the fraud. Do we want these fraudsters to kind of be the first impression? Right? Right. Do we want the mill to be? You know, I've I've had countless of patients, countless of countless number of patients that said, "Oh, this is different." How so? Oh well, I usually didn't see the therapist for much. He would say hi. Mm -hmm. He'd kind of rub my arm, and then he give me some exercises nice and ice and Easter. you know so that's the perception of what physical therapy is and i believe that that it just we have to just you know choke out the mills <laughs> let them go we just let them ta- let them walk off the place and, and, cuz it's really not it's not therapy and it, and it affects us all it affects the top level clinician mm-hmm. as well as the new clinician that's coming in and you know getting thrown in that situation
0: and the likelihood of finding an extremely lethargic, disdainful person in a practice like that is high, yes, very high. And that lethargic, disdainful, poor clinical judgment person is seeing a lot of patients per day. And we're, imagine how many per year. You know, over five years, ten years, if they stay there. How's so, your knee? Same. Uh, or they don't even ask how. I, I'll I, I have a. I I't have to tell you my experience with the. One of the first times with physical therapy, at least in New York, hmm. I think I did it again. It was an ankle injury, like. But when you told your story, it was ankle injury whirlpool But the I remember the attitude. I was so uh, I was I was I had injured my ankle in taekwondo. It's caused me pain. Long story short, saw the doctor, got an MRI. Everything was torn. Whatever, uh, the, the guy is like, yeah, you need PT. So, he's like, lucky for you, I have PT practice right here. So, I <laughs> literally. <laughs> Unlucky for Lee. So, same day, by the way. It was the exact same day. Right after the appointment of the of, uh, him going over the MRI things, um, he's like, just go through that door, and then you'll be seen by so-and-so. So, I go through there, and there's, like, nobody there. And then uh, these two PTs come out. They're both wearing white coats. <laughs> and... <laughs> And they asked we're gonna me, operate. Yeah, we're gonna, like, take your what, we're gonna I? scrape your ankle. Uh, and <laughs> I, I was I was interested because I wanted to go into PT. I was training at the time. I literally had like a year and a half in New York or whatever. And uh, they brought me over to the table. And I think what happened was they they left me on the table with a curtain. And they didn't interact with me at all. I think they were reading my file or at least talking to the doctor or something. So they came back, no questions, no conversations. And they started to wrap my ankle up in ice. And they put e-stim on before that. So they had e-stim, ice, and they cranked it up. And they're like, you're just going to be on here for about 20 minutes. So I was, And I didn't know any better. So I was like, oh, okay, great. And so I was just on there for 20 minutes, probably longer. Because I was, I was young and I was like, think this is a long time (laughs) is is anyone coming back i I don't feel my foot yeah oh man
1: i think i'm getting better right it's just numbing me out man this is
0: good so they came back and i wanted to talk to them briefly because i knew a physical therapist close to me and they had just graduated school maybe practiced for uh, a year and i tried to tell them that i was like oh uh, you know so and so is a physical therapist and uh and they looked at me like okay like who cares kind of thing Like i don't give a shit and i'm just like oh you know they've been practicing in new york and so they didn't it, they were really strange about obviously performing i don't even know if they were real physical therapists they Maybe. could that they I might have that, not they might have just been an
1: eight i thought even the, my my physical therapy experience yeah. could have been an aide. could have been like an m you know a medical like a, assistant just yeah or someone like just needed a job after school and it's like yeah hey, man just need you to put people's foot in a whirlpool, <laughs> wrap some ice, and you just put, touch this button, you turn it up. I remember ultrasounding people as a student, and uh, they had aides teaching me how to use the ultrasound. Yeah, that's great At that gentleman's place. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, so he, so yeah, and that they were like, yeah, this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. And I remember burning somebody's shoulder because I cranked it up. But, yeah, it it's um, it was horrible, man. I told you the ultrasound to the shoulder. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was crazy. I was, I was ultrasounding. He was like, whoa. It's getting my hot. My shoulder's hot. And I was like, all right, let's turn this off. And uh, I was like, yeah, he's like, is it supposed to get hot? I'm like, a little warm. He was like, no, it was hot. It was hot. And, uh, I thought you shouldn't use ultrasound. ultrasound's not good. No. Oh, man. but It's terrible. What? I don't know where the hell. Where? Where? where I we're don't know in the, where, where are the we woods, are, anymore. man. We're in the woods right now. We just we're lost. We, we really got lost on this podcast. <laughs> it's all Anthony Bourdain's fault. No, no, no. no. Uh-huh. <laughs> Rest in peace, brother. Um, oh, so. but it, it things need to change. Uh, billing codes,
0: uh, you know, pay for service, or our system in general, education about. Oh, b- by the way, that article. I remember it, seeing that article about that guy committing fraud. That was like article number two in the same year, written by the same person from the New York Times who wrote the article before about the uh, treatment, but no tricks, please. You remember that? Yes. So same same one. And I was like... Literally, she's just trying to highlight the, the shittiness of our profession. And why don't, what's good now is it's, there's more better things now. There's actually, like, you want to get your back pain better. You go see a physical therapist, work on strengthening, things like that. Like, you see that more often now in um, the mainstream. But I'm just like, come on, man. Why are you highlighting this
1: jerk who was running a fraud That's it. That's an, I mean, in my experience, uh, I've never encountered that. That extreme. That like, extreme of, uh, yeah. I mean, that, again, it make, gives us all a bad name, and hopefully those things get pushed out of the system.
0: Yeah. I hope so, because that's one thing that has to be... Uh, there was an. Int- I went on an interview once for a clinic, and one of the questions was, if you had unlimited amount of money, what would you do with it? And, it, yeah, I was like, well, this is an interesting question. And so I I literally went in... It was obviously for a PT job. So this is the truth. I, I, if I had... Uh, an unlimited amount of money, the first thing I would like to do is I would like to reach out to any clinic that was susceptible to the idea of getting themselves out of network. So get out of... If you had enough clinics around the country not participating in in network insurance, you most likely would either force the insurance companies to change their practices and or you would have more successful PT practices. This is my very novice naive economic mind but it's just uh, uh, this is what i would like to do i i, I would want to have those clinics not participate anymore in these these programs that way they can have free reign to have more autonomy maybe hire higher quality people uh create clinics that might be more suitable for new grads or whatever it is i don't know so you know something that would force just them to them change pull them
1: out of the grid yeah give them give them give them some elbow room. I think that's Give them a fighting it, chance. Yeah. Maybe they don't, it
0: says their nose bleeding every day that it would just bleed like every month or something. Right. No, that, <laughs> just just <laughs> a little <laughs> knock. Like, oh
1: God, we got to pay rent. Yeah. Ah, uh, that sucks. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, man, at the, the definitely, I think our, um, wrap up, uh, we have, our wrap up quotes would definitely be, uh, the system must change. Um, mm. and I think all of us are part of it. Uh, so, for those of you guys coming out of school, get your um, get your experience in order and and keep your uh, keep your ambition and fire strong because um, years of practice, you know, a few years of practice and, and things look quite different. Um, they
0: do. They'll look pretty. Um, what's the word? They'll look dark very quickly if yeah. if you jump
1: into certain situations, mm. which is common. Yeah, unfortunately, I've I've known some clinicians that say the grass is brown, you know, and looking at her own situation, that she felt trapped, and she's been, been a clinician for oof, over a decade. But
0: it is like an abusive relationship yeah, if you think about it. Yeah, seriously, you seriously, like
1: you stay in it
0: because you, you know you don't know anything else. You don't know anything else, and it's unhealthy for you. But you make the best of it. You know, this is where a few good physios comes from. If you guys know the movie, you understand that the two guys that were ended up killing. That other soldier was just doing,
1: trying to be a good soldier, trying right, to be a good- This guy's got me complicit in murder now. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, damn, I didn't know that part, Lee. No, that was great. That was great. No, 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 no. <laughs> it was representing- You like don't this. even know, Eric. I, 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 this was all <laughs> up front before we started the podcast. That he knew damn well <laughs> what he was getting into. <laughs> right, <laughs> we're on a wall here. <laughs> that's great uh, no but no it, it's just basically doing the right thing man. right doing it, the right it, thing
0: it's so like if, if you if one doesn't know and you get out and you kind of look back 2020 is usually sorry hindsight is usually 2020 um, mm-hmm. then you usually see all the gaps and kind of things that could have done here and there but you, there, you shouldn't feel trapped you should feel like there's a large opportunity um, there's other options there's more clinics out there now than there was five years ago that are doing boutique things and they're looking for superstar new grads. Um, so, you know, make yourself a superstar. If you really want to help people, you really want to um, do well in this profession, it doesn't take much to be a superstar. It just takes a, an open mind, it takes the need or the yearn to learn as much information as possible looking out for leaders and connecting with them. There's people doing it right now and they're utilizing the tools that weren't available to us when we got out of school, like social media emails and, uh, self everything. all these, all these easy communicative tools that you could use to get in touch with people, try to do it and, um, try to learn what the profession is like.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, Until next week (laughs) I want to divulge You know No I just think that um, This was an interesting uh, Interesting clip Because it it just like uh, Rehashed a lot of my uh, The last I don't know Last five years of uh, Memories and thinking of It's
0: going to be Ten years man Soon Out of school school. Someone told me that And I was like what It's only been like A couple years Since I got out of school (laughs)
1: A decade man And so much is uh, Damn So much has changed Yeah Um you know, a lot for the better, um some not so for the better, but at the same token, I think Lee and I have been working hard at diversifying ourselves, whether it's clinically and outside, you know some of that superstar the yearning to be the superstar it doesn't take much, it's like just the ability to want more <clears throat> mm-hmm. you know clinically, but you know I also encourage those to kind of delve into different movement practices as Lee and I have been discussing. For you know, throughout all the podcasts is the more, you know, the more you know, one, about your own body and how you move, but how what others are going through, you know, um, whether it's a trend, whether it's a, a boot camp class, whether it's CrossFit, Olympic lifting, Muay Thai, swimming, mm-hmm. golf, whatever the hell, you know, just move. Do some kind of activity, um, one, to enrich your own self, but uh, also to bring it back to your patient.
0: All right. And I do have to say the – For everybody coming out of school, the likelihood of you being a PT in 10 years is way higher than the likelihood of these mills and these companies that are treating PTs poorly uh, being around. In business, right? In business. And that is a fact. And the reason why that's a fact is that they can only sustain for so long that revolving door bullshit that happens all the time where you go to these companies and if you... I hear about it in New York all the time. There's, there's only like a handful of them and there's always uh, a job position opening there. Always. And there's not... There's not because they're opening more and more clinics like crazy. They're losing that same amount of people every month.
1: Yeah, and I think for the new grads now, I think those clinics won't be open just because of social media. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the internet and the amount of information there, and people kind of checking in on experiences, and you know when they start looking up physical therapy, and they look at ABC practice to see as five people an hour, you know it's going to be quite clear that that's what's going on. So right. you know I think uh, yeah they won't Lee really hit it spot on. They they won't be around. They won't be around for much longer.
0: But you can, and most likely will always be a PT. That's what also bothered me while we were at. Our clinics is that we were told information that we had to remind our PTs of certain things. That I uh, was like, they don't need to be reminded of this. This is their job in terms of billing and stuff like that. And by the way, they're going to be reminded of this themselves for the rest of their lives because they took their boards. Yeah. And if they choose to stay in PT, they're going to they're going to continue to this every day. Yeah. So they're, you know,
1: they're clinicians, autonomous clinicians, right? Not technicians. Not robots. And, robots. And not whatever anyways
0: um stay fresh stay positive stay
1: open-minded yes it's all good there's abundance out there that's right (laughs) thank you for listening thank you for listening
0: to a few good physios follow us on instagram twitter youtube and facebook follow us each week while we interview guests and have clinical commentary